be in John chapter 15. Um, I turned in some extra verses late, so you're going to actually have to use your Bible for a little bit. So I'm putting this down here because i got to have room. Um, we're going to be starting in verse 4. I want to thank you for uh, allowing Heather and I to go to the convention. And we need to, I, we need to not assume, especially with our next generation, that we understand who we are as a church and as a denomination. First of all, the church is God's people, and we see that in Acts. But there are different denominations, and they become denominations because of certain doctrinal beliefs. We can fellowship with people and churches from other denominations because if we get Jesus and the gospel right, that Jesus is fully God, fully uh, man, and that he died, and he rose from the dead for our sins. And so us as Baptists, what's cool is our church makes its own decisions but we come together as a group of churches to put our money together for missions and for seminaries and for causes like disaster reliefs because our money together will go further to help people. So what you give in the offering every week, a percentage of that goes to help uh, fund seminaries, which I was able to go to seminary. My son and future ministers are going to seminary. That helps keep that cost down. Uh, when we do special offerings, like at Easter and at Christmas, those go to international missions and to foreign missions, uh, excuse me, international missions and to North American missions. And so the Baptists come together as churches once a, a year, we missed last year because of COVID, because the churches are the ones that make the decisions on what to do. And this year, you know, I asked the question, especially, I'm not trying to get political, but on whatever side you are on, Politically, you sometimes wonder if your political vote matters. Well, I was asking the question, does our vote as a church matter? And it very well does, because each church is assigned so many uh, votes. And so Heather and I went and voted for our church. And this year was kind of a, the, the, the world was looking for the Baptists to fall apart this year. The New York Times was there, a lot of media outlets, because they're going to get in a big fight, they're going to break up, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it's because people are throwing around terms. Again, I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat. When we use this in, in church life, they use the term liberal. They're saying, you don't believe the whole word of God or, or this or that. Well, you know what? You had one side saying this, one side saying another. And the thing about it is they both believe that God's word is the literal word of God to be totally followed. What it is is the fact of some people just not look into things a little bit deeper. Well, I'm glad to say that everybody acted nice. And we'll, and in front of a, a lost world, uh, when people made, because we got to vote on resolutions and about abortion, which, you know, obviously we're against abortion and about, you know, against abuse of any kind and against racism of any kind. It's not like we hadn't had resolutions in that before. But in these times, we need to make sure that, especially with the things that are being thrown at us as Baptists and believers, that we're coming out and saying, we are against these things. We're against abuse. We're against racism. We're against abortion. But we're for God's love and his forgiveness and his redemption. And so what was really good about it is, is I saw people that were kind of on disagreement make allowances and go along. So uh, continue to pray for that because we do better together. As a local church, we're going to follow God. But we have the ability when we come together uh, to do better. And so... It went well. Thank you. And our vote, our votes did matter, you know, and so I appreciate you doing that. And it was a convention is usually 5,000 uh, a year. It was uh, 16,000 plus. So obviously people came out of the woodwork. 
Uh, and so anyway, God was glorified. At the, at the convention, it, um, we uh, got to preview some movies, and a lot of you are familiar with War Room and Courageous and Facing the Giants. Well, the Kendrick brothers are the ones that do those movies, and they came out with a new movie that's a documentary that will be coming out this fall called uh, Show Me the Father. Very powerful documentary about the importance of fatherhood. And then if it'll come out this fall, we as a church uh, will go to that and just, I think it'll bless you. And the, obviously Christ will be lifted up in that. A few months later, they're going to re-release the movie Courageous. And you say, well, I've seen it. Well, it's 10 years old and they're also going to add new things to it. They're, uh, the same actors are coming back and showing what happened years later. Very powerful movie about fatherhood and the importance of fathers. And so... You know, one statement they made when we went to go see uh, the movie was, you either have a positive experience or a painful experience about your father. You either have a positive experience or a painful experience about your father. And even the best father, uh, another statement they made, even the best father is a cracked mirror reflection of the Heavenly Father's love. I want you to think about that. We're all cracked. We're all broken. We're all sinful. So even the best father is going to be a cracked reflection, a cracked mirror of God, the Father. And this is why the family is so important and what is being attacked so much, the family. And Satan began to attack the family in the garden because the family is a picture, a physical earthly picture of a relationship we all can have with the Father, God. And so... Love has a lot of things to do with that. And a loving father helps us in life. And again, I'm not going to be one of those pastors that beats up on fathers today. I want you to understand, you're here. And I want you to understand the power of your influence. We're going to, I continue to use the word complementarianism. But men and women are different. God designed men and women are different. And they complement each other. And so what we have to understand is God has designed the father to be the spiritual leader of the home. It doesn't mean that mothers have not had to been and done a well job at it, but God has designed the fathers to be the spiritual uh, leader of the home. And Satan has attacked that. And Satan has attacked fathers. And I want to encourage you today, but this is not just speaking of fathers. And so there is one command that the heavenly father gives. And I'm titled this sermon, The Father's Command. And so we struggle to love, uh, to love the way God commands. We struggle to love the... There's no way I can love perfectly like our Heavenly Father loves us. And we can choose to love our selfish way, or we can choose to love God's way. And we need His help in order to do that. And the only solution to follow the Father's command, here's your action step today, and your points are going to be spelled under the word love, but your action step to apply today is love like the Father. Love like the Father. And we're obviously talking about the Heavenly Father. And we can see this through Jesus' example in John chapter 15, a wonderful chapter. If you, if you imagine Jesus is walking through Jerusalem and he hits a vineyard. And there's a beautiful book uh, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a long time ago, The Secrets of the Vine. and just really paints a beautiful picture of this chapter, John chapter uh, 15. Can you imagine Jesus using all of his examples? And you're really missing out on Wednesday night. I mean, obviously, we're not going to have it this Wednesday night, but watching the Chosen series because it really brings these Bible accounts to life. But imagine Jesus teaching his disciples and he sees a vineyard and he stops and he teaches about the importance of abiding in the vine. 
So we see in John chapter 15, the vine abiding. And we can do nothing without God. We can do nothing without Christ. We can do nothing without his love and power. Believers abide in Christ. John 15, 4 says this, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There's a plant in the lobby that Larry and I have tried to kill. We don't water it, but I found out my wife was secretly watering it. Okay, but it's like, will this thing not get killed? Okay, and then we went to Opryland uh, to the hotel and went to the conservatory with all the plants and stuff and we're walking along and there's that plant Larry and it's huge and my wife I think is going to send you a picture of it and go like nan nan boo boo on you or whatever but it's like can't you kill the stupid thing you know but that is the secret of abiding being rooted Right now, blackberries are going to get ready to come on, and I've been blessed by Rick to have blackberry uh, bushes that he gave me a few years ago, and, and they're thornless, and they're in my yard, and I don't have to do what I had to do forever, go out in the chiggers and pick blackberries, and they're not as good. But the thing about it is those blackberries have to stay attached to the main root, to the branch. That's what we need to be doing with God. If we're going to love like the Father, you have to abide. You have to live. We are not a religion. This is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's a growing relationship. It's a continual relationship. And if you do not abide and live in Jesus, you're not going to grow. And you're definitely not going to be able to obey the command of the Father. And you're not going to be able to love. Verses 7 through 9 of chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. But, this, but by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He's trying to get something across there. He's using that word a lot. Abide in his words. This is why I tell you continually, this is what, going back to the convention, the statement everyone made, I believe that God's word is inerrant and sufficient, and that is all that we need. And so this is why you need to be a student of God's word. You need to be in God's word. I didn't say read it like I read or the amounts or these kind of things, but you need to constantly, this needs to be part of your DNA, abiding, knowing, and reading God's love letter to you. That needs to be a spiritual habit. And so you need to live in his words. You need to live in his identity. We see that in 8, that if you're his disciple, if you're his follower, you will show it in your life. You'll look like Jesus. It was in Antioch where, the, where they were first called Christians. Why did they call them Christians? Because it was neat? No, because they were looking like Christ, because they said the words of Christ, because they acted like Christ. Abide in his identity and abide in his love. And just as a loving, uh, just as, uh, as he loves us, Christ loves us the way the Father loved him. So we have, so we have the greatest love possible. When, uh, I'm reading my words here, and they're not making sense today. So, so we should love the, that way also. Abiding in Christ leads to being like Christ. You see how that works? If you're not living with Christ, how are you going to look like Christ? How are you going to do the action? It's amazing how families and, and, and spouses, and they, they live together and abide together for years, and they start having the same mannerisms and, and, the, and the way they talk and all these things, and then even the scary things, some things that they wear. And then the, I don't 
and understand why people start looking like their dogs, but we won't get into that. But or their dogs start looking like them. It's all weird to me. But uh, but go on to Jeremiah thirty one thirty three says this: having the heart of the Father, having the heart of God. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and it will be and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There are some stuff just like what I said. Either your father has left a positive experience or a painful experience, but there are some things that have been implanted in your heart by your earthly father. And some of those things are good and some of them are horrible. Let your heavenly father implant those perfect, loving things in your heart. He says he's going to do that. And these are the only, this is why we talk about asking Jesus into our hearts. The heart is the core of what you do. And there's no way you're going to be able to follow this command. There's no way you're going to be able to love like the Father unless He is in your heart and you're abiding in Him. How is this shown in our lives? Look at verse 8 of chapter 15. But this my Father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I've said this for a long time, but I'm a recovering legalist. And there were, and when I see, and there were at least 50% reco- uh, not recovering legalists at the convention, but legalists. And um, a recovering legalist says, bl- black and white, it's this way, I'm not going to budge on it. Now, I want you to understand, I'm a soft stone wall. When it comes to God's word, if his word is clear, I'm not going to move. But I do believe there are no gray areas, but I believe there are grace areas. And notice what I said about our brothers and sisters in different denominations. We can come together in fellowship if we get Jesus right. That Jesus is the only way to salvation if we get the gospel right. And so what we see here is a legalist says, okay, I've got to bear fruit. I've got to do this, this, and this to be saved. And I've got to do this, this, and this to stay saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. But then we ignore, like I said before, verse 10, where it talks about we're designed for works. And so you could take this verse and say, I've got to do this. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, if, he, if you have let him adopt you in his family, if he is your heavenly father, there is nothing you can do to be saved, to stay saved, but just trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and accept him into your life. And so what I want to help you understand, this fruit is a natural thing. I don't go out there to the blackberry bushes. I did trim some that were dead. He talks about pruning that. But I don't go out there and say, now you better do this. You ever produce a big old uh, blackberry. Come on, come on, come on, do it. You need to do it or you're going to get struck down or whatever. No. Notice that, you know, it just happens naturally. This is what I want you to understand. You can't produce fruit on your own. And definitely not the fruit of God. Though the natural, uh, through the natural fruit in our, li- our lives, we, it bears, shows, when we have natural fruit in our life, it shows that we have a relationship with Jesus. We're producing. And fruit that happens naturally, how? By abiding in Christ, by living in Christ, by obeying Christ. This is how you produce fruit. So what I want to help you with is don't be, I've got to do something. Really? You're no more saved than you are now. If you've received Christ, you are saved. But now just walk in that and let him grow in your life. You obey him not to be saved, not to stay saved, but because you are saved. And because it's based on love. Keeping God's commandments and abiding in love go together. I'm going to follow what he says because I'm living in him 
and I love him. Talked about this before, but those of you that are married or with your children or grandchildren, there are things you would never do, but they ask you to do it. Bam, you're there. You know, you're doing it. That's what that relationship with God looks like, is that I keep his commandments because I'm living with him in relationship and I love him, which leads to the loving commandment. Here is the commandment in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 10. If you, if you keep my, well, it's going to go on here in a minute. It's actually going to be 12. But if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We abide in Christ's love by keeping his commandments. And, we keep the, and Christ kept the Father's commandments. Christ obeyed so we can obey. He loved so we can love others. Christ not only tells us what to do, he showed us what to do. He led by example. And he is the perfect example of obedience. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If we follow this commandment that he presents, in, I believe in verse 12, then we're going to have joy. So many times we think, oh man, heaven is going to be so boring. You know, I want to be there. I don't want to be in hell and eternal torment and punishment. So I know it's going to be church services all the time, set in pews and nothing wrong with that and music and stuff. But it's going to be so boring. Really? Is the rest of your life boring? Because God made everything. Today or tomorrow, I'm going to hit, I'm going to do some trout fishing. And I bet you there's going to be some good trout fishing there. And I'm not going to have to watch videos to learn how to really fly fish. I'm going to make that thing dance in heaven. Okay, or whatever I need to do. And they're going to be really big records set there, you know. But we're not going to be bragging or anything like that, okay. But, you know, we sit there and think about heaven and say, I want to go there, but it's boring. Go outside, look at life and nature. Nothing boring about that. Look at the miracle of a birth and a child growing. Nothing boring about that. And so you can say, well, that's something to look forward to. But look at this. These things I've spoken to you. He said, the reason I'm telling you this commandment is that joy may be in you and that you may be full of joy, not sad, but joyous, and that you can serve and abide and obey Christ because you're living in joy. Christ obeys the Father as we obey Christ. We experience joy. That word joy in the Greek means a state of gladness, like, like at harvest time. And it's the opposite of fear. It's like the joy of a, of a wedding feast. You know, our son Justice got married a few weeks ago. And I'm not trying to be biased, and if I've been to any of your family's weddings, I'm not trying to put them down, but we really had a good time at that wedding. You say, well, it's your son's wedding. You should have a good time. But I've been to a lot of weddings, okay? And what was cool about it, they just had these outdoor games, and everybody was just chilling out and enjoying each other and having a good time. And that's what this definition is here. He's saying it's going to be the kind of joy that you're actually going to like, that you're going to enjoy. And he wants it not to be halfway. He wants it to be full in your life. So in that, this is, we're all leading up to a command. He's saying if you abide in me, if you follow me, your joy is going to be full if you obey this command. The remedy for fear is Christ's ongoing presence. Despite his physical absence, we obey. And obey what? Look at verse 12. Here is the command. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's deep. That's the core. 
This is what we're talking about today. You're going to unpackage this. This new commandment to the believers to love one another. This love is agape, sacrificial love. And it's ongoing action. We keep loving one another. And the quality of love is that we love like God the Father, like Christ loved us. God the Father gave His Son for your life and my life. And Christ willingly gave His life for us. That's an awesome kind of love. Christ is our example. He's our standard of love. What, what happens when we obey this, this command? The bottom line is when we obey the, com the commandment to love, we allow God's strength to abide in and through us. Yes, we're going to get to your points. You point people. We'll get, we're getting there. We've got to get the front part of this, okay? The results of abiding and obeying in, in love. There's a powerful, effective prayer life. There is God-honoring blessings. There's unbounding love. There's inexplicable joy. Lo uh, loving like Christ, uh, loving like the Father, we set the ultimate loving example. I want you to understand, guys, this is our witness. This is why I am thankful at the convention that the world was looking for the Baptists just to rip themselves apart and be really mean. And there were some weird things going outside the convention and maybe in there, but it looked pretty good. But I want you to understand the Bible is clear. We as believers are going to be known by our love. And I want to help you with something. Love is not what the world is defining it is. Because love says no. And love says yes. What we're hearing is love says whatever. Then let's go home. Close your book and let's go. Love says no. A loving father will say no sometimes. Why? Because he's trying to save his child. He's trying to help his child. And so what we need to understand here, what God's definition of love is. John 15, uh, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It is the ultimate example of love, the willingness uh, to value others over ourselves. So many times we think that it's a huge, uh, uh, these huge gestures, but it's just like a loving father who usually just does the small things every day, the consistent things every day, that show God's love. So your first feeling, you ready for this? I know you are. To love like the Father means to love sacrificially. How many fathers know that they're going to get whatever's left over on the plates of the kids? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you didn't eat all that? Okay. No, I'm not going to drink after you because you backwash. But we won't get into that. Okay. But, but we love sacrificially. We all are called to love sacrificially. We can only do this when we are in the right mindset. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 talks about a good soldier. I'm abbreviated. doesn't pay attention to what's going on around him, but only pays attention to his commanding officer. This is what we need to do, is only pay attention to God and be a good soldier. And that we show that we are friends with Christ and that we support Christ's goals and we're dedicated to godly goals. And so for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, we need to be focused only on the Father's will. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then 1 uh, Corinthians 2.2, 2, for I've decided to concentrate only on Christ Jesus and His death on His cross. Those are verses I've learned for focus because there's so many things in life that are trying to get me to focus off of God's mind, 
off of God's will. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is a major one you need to ca- uh, learn. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against God and putting every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You need to look at that verse, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and you need to ask the question, anytime a thought, because all sin starts with a thought, anytime a thought enters my mind, you need to imagine, I imagine Jesus at the gate of my mind, and I ask Jesus, according to his word, not what I think his opinion is, what he says, what, it, should I entertain this thought? Should I take it further? And if his word tells me no, and the Holy Spirit tells me no, then I don't go any further. Because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we need to be dedicated to godly goals. We need to be focused on the Father's will. We need to have the Father's mind. We need to have the mind of Christ. Your next film, to love like the Father, we must be one-minded. One-minded. Focused on Christ and on the, on the Father's kingdom. Doing what He commands. Oh, you're just closed-minded. You know what? I'll listen to a lot of things, but Jesus is going to settle it. His word is going to settle it. And you need to decide right now, believers, in the society that you're living, I say it about every week, I'm going with God's word, period. We need to be one-minded. You're going to have people say, and that, that really bothers me when people say, I'm not listening or you're not listening. Oh, I'll listen. And I want to see where you're at. And I want to understand where you're at. And we need to. Some of the things we're having to listen to right now, it's like, I don't want to listen to that. I don't believe that. And I don't think you should listen to everything. But when you have somebody in your face having a conversation, I don't mean in your face like fighting, but God has put in front of you that they want to have that conversation, you need to lead them towards the mind of Christ. That's what Paul did on Mars Hill. He had to listen to all the crazy beliefs, but he pointed them to the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ leads to the truth of Christ. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know his master is doing, but I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. I love this. This is what I want to hear when I get to heaven. There's my friend Russell. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. When you're a friend, you have mutual confidentiality, trust, knowing God, God knows you. Understanding God, God understands you. Trusting God, God trusts you to go. Uh, um, Elevating us to friendship status, to share in his redemptive work. This is where Baptists came together last week is the gospel. This is where we come together as believers is the gospel. He has given us the redemptive work to go and tell people that they are not okay and that God loves them so much that he gave his son and he wanted to redeem them. So the creator of the universe has, has entered, invites us into an intimate relationship with him, knowing, understanding him, a trusted friend of God. I want you to think about that. You know, most of you, they say you can count good friends that you'll have in life on one hand. And that's usually true, but you know those friends that you haven't talked to for years, that if you called them right now and told them you needed anything or you just wanted to stop by, bam, it would happen. That's what he's talking about here with God. That, those relationships came, uh, most of our deep relationships came on mission trips because, boy, you really get to know somebody on a mission trip. Okay, good, bad, ugly, whatever, okay? But the thing about it is, is those deep relationships, getting to know each other through daylight. This is why I believe church goes beyond this gathering. 
This gathering is biblical, but I believe that church is the people, and we are together 24-7 interacting with each other. But so many times in life we said churches, Sunday and Wednesday, none of those are bad. Those are very biblical things, but church is 24-7. Church is calling someone during the week and saying, hey, do you want to do this, or how are you doing? And that is those intimate relationships. So your next feeling here, loving like the Father creates a valuable friendship with God. A valuable, the benefit of loving and obeying this command is you are becoming a deep friend with God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. When we are trusted friend of God, we can be trusted, uh, we can be trusted friends with others. Notice verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he, will, he may give it to you. We have, we have a shared desire for success, for kingdom success. We're chosen. We're appointed. We're placed to bear fruit, kingdom fruit. Not, you know, not... Bass Chapel fruit, not Russell fruit, not your fruit, kingdom fruit. And kingdom fruit is changed lives. Souls that have moved from darkness to light. And that's the fruit we're aiming for. That not just people that get saved, but people that are growing and following God. We, our goal and the thing we measure is life change. This is why VBS is so important. One of the resolutions that Baptists made, they, they, they shared a vision for 2025. I know we've done that before. It's like, wow, big deal. Okay? But they, they looked at statistics. And what they saw in statistics is young, there are less and less young people coming to Christ. And, there's, and we need to get them not just when they're young, but tramp a child in the way they'll go. When they're old, they'll not depart. And one of the vision statements, and they even amended it because they were just focusing on teenagers. And I love teenagers. I did youth ministry for half of my ministry. But they were focusing on teenage baptisms. And through the change, they said, hey, children are important. And we need to focus on anybody under 18 aiming for them. That they know Christ. They make those foundational choices. This is why VBS has always been so important. And man, I'm going to brag on you guys, but I don't care what size church, nobody does that level. Because I found out from a source that that crane actually works out there. Okay? I may come a little early and see what happens. But, okay. but, but you know what those kids... You remember when you were a little kid and you go somewhere and you go back... Um, I went back to the Bible college. I went to Nashville uh, the first year I was in college and went to Free Will Baptist Bible College and then transferred uh, to John Brown University. And so I went back, and there's only one building left. And then I, I was more excited that I found the, the parking garage I looked to, used to work at. <laughs> you know? But the thing about it is, is when I looked at it, I thought, boy, it felt a lot longer to go over here to there. Of course, I didn't have a car, so it was a lot longer because I had to walk to my job, okay, or whatever. Yes, I was in college and didn't have a car and had to walk to my job. Been holding that one in for my kids. Okay, but here's the, here's the deal. I had a point there and we're going to go there, but um, when the kids in VBS and the importance of reaching the lost, they're never going to forget. They didn't have a halfway crane or theme. They went all the way. The quality of we think that these kids are so important to get those Jesus seeds in their life. Because the world right now in our schools, calling it out, is teaching the very things of the world. And 
I love public school teachers and administrators. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying, they can only do so much. And it begins at the home. And church, we are called to build up families, help them come to Christ, and help their children come to Christ. To support the family, whether they're in public or private school. To, to be a voice in those things. And so what we see here, that is part of that bearing fruit. That is part of that abiding in one mind, in one purpose, in one attitude, growing in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against thing, these things, uh, there is no law. I listened to a few podcasts, and I listened to, you know, I, I mentioned the, the, you know, Phil Robertson podcast that has a lot of theological things in it, but I also like listening to the Duck Call Room, and it's just uh, Cy Robertson and a bunch of his friends just talking about nothing, okay? I like listening to that in the car. But one thing Cy was saying that he was working on was road rage, you know, <laughs> the fact that he, he's saying, don't honk at that person or that's going too slow or whatever, because they may have a gun and they want you to try to use it. And he was saying, I'm working on the fruits of the Spirit in my life instead of the thistles. That reached to me on what we're talking about here. Are you bearing thistles? Or are you bearing fruit? Because so many times, I don't know what it is. I want to be more loving the older I get, and the older I get, more like, I'm going to tell you how the cow eats the cabbage. Okay, I'm going to give you the what for with a two by four, but they're too expensive to use. Okay, but no, no, this is why I need Jesus more now. This is why I have to abide more. This is why we need to spend more time in prayer and his word. This is why we need to get the children started early in this, these things that are important to get the word in there. That they get used to, I'm living with Jesus, and I'm more comfortable living with Jesus. Philippians, we need to abide, and, and we produce this fruit in our actions. Philippians 1.11 says this, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's the goal. That our actions don't save us, but they show and point to Christ. Why are you doing this? Because I'm in relationship with Jesus. Right actions helping others see God rightly. Right actions point to and glorify God. We need to, we need to abide because it enhances our worship. Hebrews 13.15 says this, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledges His name. In our actions we need to show who we're following by obeying His command. And with our lips we need to verbalize, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, I'm afraid because they don't like us Christians much. Who are you going with? I find that if you love people, it, it takes care of a lot of stuff. If you smile and if you're kind, and yes, they may not like it, but it's your kindness that leads to repentance and, and our worship. So our lives are, are always pointing towards the Father. Your next fill-in, when we love like the Father, we enjoy the bounty of God. The bounty of God, which is abiding in and bearing fruit for God. We fulfill all of God's commands. I want you to understand this command. I want you to say, well, I, you know, if you're a former legalist and the Pharisees were legalists and, and they're like, i got to do this, this, and this, and the Pharisees at Jesus' time added hundreds more laws on it so nobody felt they could get anywhere near God. 
And then we go further on into history, and the people couldn't read, and the only way they understood the Bible, this is why we had stained glass windows, is the Bible, the Bible stories would be on the windows, and they couldn't read. And the only Bible they had was the Great Bible, and it was in Latin. My wife could translate it for you, and maybe some of my boys, okay? But the Great Bible was chained to the pulpit. What did that say about knowing God? I'm going to tell you about God. You can't know God. But, so they had the idea of, i got to obey the Ten Commandments. i got to obey the two commandments in Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was summarizing that, but it gets down to verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Like Christ, like the Father, loving sacrificially, being one-minded, valuing friendship with God and enjoying the bounty of God, obeying the Father's command and loving like the Father. It's the only thing we owe anyone. Yeah, you owe somebody something. And this is the only thing you owe them. And when we do it, we obey the whole law. I learned this verse. I got to look back up. I had it in here because it, you know, it's been a while since I reviewed it. But Romans uh, 13.8 says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is what you owe. And you owe a debt that you cannot pay. Everybody here, I, I was talking to someone this week, and only God can judge me. Yeah, you're right, but it's my job to tell you where that judgment is going to lead. It's going to lead to eternal torment in hell forever. But God loved you so much that He sent His Son there to die for you, to take your punishment, and your free will, if you choose Him, you can escape that and enter an abiding relationship with God. That's what you owe anybody that is breathing in your vicinity. In, Mark, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them even to the end of the age. I want you burdened. I never want you to feel bad. And I love the urgency. I see that in what you're doing, but I ask the question, who is your one? Because that's how you love like the Father. And that's what you owe. Owe no man anything except to love them the way the Father has loved you. And so, just like the convention that everybody was loving, just like a loving father, regardless of whether it's a positive experience or a painful experience, even the best fathers really can't love unless they follow the command to love like the father. Today, this season, how are you loving? I try to love well, but there's so many times I just like, I want to do it my way. I go back to the definition I heard, the fact that even the best father is a cracked mirrored reflection of the Father's love. I need His love every day to love sacrificially, to be single-minded, to be a friend to God and to others, and to enjoy His bounty now. Some of you are like, oh, i got to do this. i gotta, I got to be like this. Really? You need to ask the question, have I really accepted God's love? What, what in my life has stalled out me growing in His love and producing fruit? And deal with that. It all depends on you. Regardless, uh, realize your need uh, 
to let God love you. A lot of you are like, no, God can't love me. So you're saying that you are so bad that God can't love you. That is a lie from the pit of hell because he died for everyone. So today when we have this time of invitation, come forward and, and, and admit to God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Save me. Accept his love. Most of you have done that. But somewhere along this scale... I'm loving selfishly, not sacrificially, because that's going to hurt if I do this. Open your hands up. Remember the sacrificial love God gave you and put your yes on the table. Some of you are divided. Well, what about this theory? What about that? What about what the world says? Don't worry, my voice is still changing. <laughs> doesn't worry what the world says. Be a soldier that focuses on what God says and have a biblical worldview. And then... Some of you are being a friend of the world more than you're being a friend of the God. You need to decide. I said you only have on one hand a really good friends usually and not even fills up a whole hand. You need to decide that your best friend is going to be God and that you're going to be His best friend. And that means that you love like He loves. And you need to live in that bounty. Oh my goodness, I got so many thistles so many times. I do not want to pray the fruits of the Spirit because what happens is when you start saying, Lord, help me, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, guess what He does? He puts the exact opposite in your life to grow the patience. But are you growing thistles? Or are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? As we have a time of invitation and we stand on our feet, What's your love like? Are you loving like your Heavenly Father? Are you looking more like your Heavenly Father every day? Or are you looking more like the world? And a dying world needs to see God clearly in your life. A dying world, dying families that are dying without Christ need to see you loving like the Father. Accept His love live his love. Lord, I thank you for this day and I pray whatever we need to do that we're obedient to you today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.